0: You know, the takeaway from the book is that it's really about the accidental entrepreneur trying to solve a problem. It's not um, a solution looking for a problem. It's an actual problem. And they're passionate about solving it. And um, it's really the grit not to give up. And that's who wins, right? That's the blueprint. Uh, it sounds pretty cliche and simple, but that's what's been shown time and again to win.
1: Welcome to The In Factor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White and on today's episode, venture capitalist and investor Nisa Amoyles joins me as we dive into an important topic addressed in her latest book, WTF is happening. Women tech founders on the rise. In our conversation, Nisa identifies the most critical elements to raising funds, including the power of market timing. I really hope you enjoy this insightful discussion. Nisa, thank you for joining me today. Um, Your new book, WTF is happening. Women tech founders on the rise has gained significant traction quickly rising to the Amazon's best seller list within 24 hours of its release. First of all, it's a really fun name. Thank you. <laughs> and I think a compelling topic. So, would you tell us tell us a little bit about what that book's about and um, what do you want re- our readers and our listeners to know about that book?
0: Absolutely. So, the book is, profiles 13 female founders in the areas of blockchain, artificial intelligence, virtual reality, robotics, and autonomous mobility, and talks about how they went about starting the businesses, how they obtained funding, and um, how their businesses are thriving. And the reason for the book is that I had been writing for Forbes, um, profiling different uh, female founders for a while. I realized that the female founders that get the most media attention are in food, fashion, beauty, and e-commerce. And there aren't that many um, articles about these other women in these areas of frontier tech which is the area I invest in, which I believe is very important in terms of disrupting the future. And I feel it's very important for women to play a role in that. Um, And also having been a venture capitalist and observing that female founders still receive 2% of all funding, um, even though they outperform, I felt it was important to call attention to that to other investors. Very important.
1: I'm so glad to hear you that you're doing that. I'm a, I'm a tech female, a tech female entrepreneur myself. So really excited to hear that. Uh, that focus. Uh, you have a real varied background yourself uh, with expertise in a lot of areas. Can you tell us how you got to this point? You're you've been writing for Forbes and that kind of led you down the path of studying female tech entrepreneurs. What did you do prior to that, and how did you get where you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I started out as a securities lawyer. I had gone to business school and then law school, and then practiced uh, corporate and securities law for a few years. And decided that I would uh, go in house, leave a law firm, go in house, and I ended up um, in house at um, what was then NBC Universal, what's now Interactive Corp, uh, which was run by Barry Diller working on uh, internet disruption of media and investing in or buying companies um, that were the first wave of the internet and there uh, from there I also worked um, I s- continued the media background by working at AOL Time Warner right around the time of the merger again doing um, cross-platform partnerships and um, a lot of internet uh, marketing and movie marketing. And so I uh, realized that I wanted to leave big companies and be an entrepreneur. So I founded, co founded a beauty company uh, with somebody else. And um, through that process, I got to um, be more involved in the startup world and started about a year later investing in other female founders. And I started out as a generalist, really just investing in people that I thought that I could be helpful to, and whether that be the media business, the law business, or the beauty business at the time. Uh, But what I found very quickly was that what I wanted to invest in and spend my time on was technology. And so... I became a specialist investor and um, started only investing in those areas that I outlined in the book. And I joined a venture capital firm and started doing it on a bigger scale. And then I got um, very involved in the blockchain community through this and started um, investing primarily in blockchain startups. And um, that's what I'm doing now, actually.
1: That's fascinating. So yeah. let, let's let talk a little about blockchain and some of the other technologies. I, I, you know, our audience, uh, a lot of our audience is nascent uh, entrepreneurs, uh, students, people who would like to be an entrepreneur. What, what kinds of suggestions do you have for them in that space?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the myths that I debunk in the book is that you don't have to have a STEM degree or computer science, cryptography, engineering degree to be a great entrepreneur. Uh, there are women in the book who only had business degrees or design degrees or, you know, really it's much more about access to capital than it is about the degree that you have. And uh, those entrepreneurs that have access to capital are the ones that uh, tend to outperform or make it. And so I would say uh, for entrepreneurs, you know, build your network and uh, try and get access to capital uh, before you need it. And um, yeah, I, uh, in particular, uh, if you're going into uh, a field like blockchain, I would read a lot of trade publications and uh, follow crypto, Twitter, et cetera, and um, just try and get up to speed on what's happening.
1: So that that's great advice, I think. You mentioned networks and access to capital. What do those two things have in common?
0: <laughs> um, well you know, if your network is the right network, then then you're going to get access access to to capital. Yeah. So, Um,
1: so it sounds like you've built your own network. Have you had mentors or people in your life along the way that have helped you?
0: No, no? I wish I did actually. No, I have not. So how have you built your network? Um, well, I've been living in one city for most of my life. so, So so that helps in terms of, um, getting to know people in the city. Uh, I'm also doing a lot of media. So, uh, I have a lot of people reach out to me and, um, yeah, I would say, I would say that's how I built my network. Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, a lot of our, uh, when in academics, we talk a lot about, uh, dealing with failure and learning from failure and and how failure contributes to success. Uh, Have you had any failures or challenges in your path? Because you've had an amazing career so far. Has there been anything along the way that's that's been a challenge or
0: where you've had to pivot? Um, Yeah, I mean, mean, so part of the reason for writing the book is that um, I myself have asked to be for equality in positions and have then been pushed out of the room. Um, And, you know, realizing the bias that happens, um, especially in fields like venture capital, tech, finance, and um, advocating for female founders and female investors and trying to um, change the system. I think that, uh, you know, I've, certainly pivoted a lot. And that was more uh, just following my interests, really. Um, it wasn't, you know, so clear early on what what I was interested in doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think pivoting, remaining flexible is really important.
1: So, yeah, I hear that a lot from students. They don't really know what their passion is. They don't know what they want to do. And so it sounds like you were one of those. I was as well. And what would your advice be? Just get out and try some things and see what you find? uh,
0: Right. The only way to know is by trying it. And I think, yeah, experimenting, uh, just as long as you're constantly learning um, and it makes for a more interesting life. You've had all these different um, experiences, and that hopefully, at the end of the day, makes you a better investor. Yeah, right. So
1: you mentioned in your book. Let's talk. You mentioned women. Uh, that's your focus, and you mentioned uh, the underrepresentation of women in tech. Uh, you talk about that in your book, and you and you talk about the underrepresentation of funding for women. Um, despite their clear competencies. Can you talk a little bit about where you think this problem comes from and, and what are some of the practical steps maybe as a society and those of us interested in entrepreneurial ecosystems, what we can do to change this narrative?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's part of it is a systemic structural problem and part of it is bias and how the industry grew up. Uh, as a cottage industry based on pattern matching. But in in terms of a systemic problem, if you think about um, who allocates funds to venture capitalists, it's pensions, endowments, and sovereign wealth funds. And although they've had emerging manager programs, um, there hasn't been that much of... You know the two percent number hasn't moved. Let's let's just say that okay. the trickle down effect has not happened, and that's because it's really you know very small amounts of capital that are being allocated towards women who are managing funds who then invest in women, and part of it is because there, um, you know, there traditionally were not as many female entrepreneurs, but now that is the fastest growing population of entrepreneurs. So the data is overwhelming that they outperform and they're undershopped and undervalued. So it's classic arbitrage. It's really an opportunity to seek alpha. However, these pensions and endowments are still not allocating huge sums to the, so to speak, diversity. Mm-hmm. And they're not incented to take risk. Um, so they may feel like there's more risk involved in emerging managers, and there is, but there's also outsized returns. So that's part of the issue. The other uh, part is, as I said, the bias that um, this is an industry, primarily it's male-dominated and they're looking for in entrepreneurs that match whoever has been successful in the past. So that was for a long time, the model of Mark Zuckerberg, right? So I think there's that they may also not have access to uh, female entrepreneurs. They, They don't run in the same circles. And this is a business of access and networks. And so it's hard to cross over sometimes. So I think, what can we do? I mean, we have been lobbying the institutional investors for a while. Um, Some in California have actually gone as far as laws and sanctions. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in, you know, in a lot of places, it it also hasn't moved, and I think that's because the power dynamic is that they don't want to lose their allocation in a top fund just because they're complaining that there's no diversity. So it, it works both ways. Um, I think you know there have definitely on the grassroots levels been much more female angel investors, female-run funds. There are, I think, now seventy gender lens investment funds. And there have been alternative models for funding women, like CEO, for instance. And so, you know, that's what we can do. And hopefully more people will read my book and realize that this is a great opportunity to make money and, um, you know, start to change the system.
1: Mm-hmm. Great, great. So uh, I'm a, say I'm a female entrepreneur, a, a student listening to this, and I want to make some changes myself what can i do to make sure that i'm uh you know going to be one of the one of the entrepreneurs that gets the funding and that gets access what are there some things i can do
0: um you should have a set of advisors around you to try and help you with that Um, to make sure your pitch deck is perfect and and make sure uh they connect you with the right people um, because it's always better to have a warm introduction than, than reaching out cold. Sure. Sure. So, so let's
1: talk, let's transition into that a little bit. As a venture capitalist, uh, an investor, what are some of the things that you look for in a pitch and in a, in a entrepreneur?
0: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at the early stage, it's really all about the team and the, size of the market and the timing because you expect that the company will pivot a number of times along the way that's okay so you're really betting on the jockey um but i think more important if you look historically the uh investments that have outperformed the best are really the ones that have had the best timing so mm-hmm. why you why now is what has changed in the market to make this the right year to be doing this business? Like, has there been government uh, legislation? Has there been um, a breakthrough in technology that allows for this to be built? Has there been um, some global macro forces afoot? And so I think that is really important and often underlooked when you're looking at investment opportunities.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. I love that. When, um, when I teach the whole opportunity recognition area to my class, I talk about the root of the word opportunity, which comes from the Latin phrase, ob portu. And it really refers to the time back in the day when, the, the, uh, the, when the, they, they weren't able to dredge the ports, that the ship and the captain were waiting for the right time Mm. to go to port. And Mm -hmm. if the, if they went when the tide was too low, they were going to run aground or, uh, if they missed it, they were going to have to wait. So I I think that that's how I talk about timing. And I, I'm glad to hear you point to that as one of the critical factors Mm -hmm. uh, that we look for. So, um, you do a lot of things. you're a venture capitalist, an angel investor, a media commentator, an entrepreneur, an author. Let's talk a little bit about how you find time to do all that.:
0: Well, surprisingly, it doesn't take as much time as you would think. It sounds like a lot, but it's all related. so I you know basically just I follow the markets, I obviously follow the crypto markets pretty closely and um, constantly changing there and I'm you know, inbound reviewing opportunities every day. And um then, you know, when I'm inspired to write something, I write something. Um so yeah, I mean it just kind of falls into place. And you look for the synergies, it sounds like among exactly. all those
1: things. Mm-hmm. That's that's a great, that's great. So if if I were to ask you if there's a blueprint for success in business. What would you say that might be? Do you have any, any kind of summary models or blueprints that are? Well, are
0: I, I think, you know, the takeaway from the book is that it's really about the accidental entrepreneur trying to solve a problem. It's not um, a solution looking for a problem. It's an actual problem. And they're passionate about solving it. And um, it's really the grit not to give up. And that's who wins, right? That's the blueprint. Uh, it sounds pretty cliche and simple, but that's what's been shown time and again to win and yeah. access the capital.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I talk a lot about resilience. Also, I think it's right. if you just have to keep going,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that that's sometimes a very hard thing. I know there's there's a lot of discussion out there about grit and perseverance mm-hmm. and and all of that. So as we start to Pull this conversation uh, to an end. Is there one main piece of advice that you would want to share with our listeners who are many of them uh, thinking they'd like to go down this path of entrepreneurship?
0: Mm-hmm. Think about what really makes you angry and channel that into um, that because that's really the problem, right? and work on solving that problem and channel that energy into that resilience and grit. That's that's great advice. So where can our listeners
1: find you and connect with you?
0: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, the best place is probably Twitter to follow me, Amoyles Nisa. I have a website, which is just my name, nisaamoyles.com. And I'm happy to hear from everybody. All right. Thank you, Nisa. Thank you so much.